Well, hey everybody, how we doing? Well, better, there we go. Glad you guys are here today. My name is John McLarnon, and I am the pastor at our Cary Crossroads location. So glad you guys have jumped in with us today. Um, if you're watching online, glad you guys are joining us as well. I just want to start with a, a statement today, and it's a quote. I don't really know who to attribute it to, but I want to get you thinking. And here it is, is that life does not get better by chance. Life gets better by change. Tomorrow, my wife and I are going to celebrate 24 years of marriage, all right? Now, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's an accomplishment for sure. Um, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago, and I thought, well, what's one word I might actually use to describe the last 24 years? And the first word that popped in my head was adventurous. And then I thought, well, I don't know if that totally hits it. Let me pick a second one. And the next word that popped in my head was challenging. So I thought, I thought, well, let me turn it back to my wife. So she was walking through the room, and I said, without thinking about it, first word that pops in your mind describes the last 24 years. And she said, um, she said, interesting. <laughs> I said, well, choose a second word. I'll let you take a second one. And she actually chose the word fabulous. So I'm going to go with fabulous, all right? And <laughs> I thought, all right, well, if I get a third word, what might be the third word I picked? And I picked the word better, all right? I picked the word better. Now, if you have a significant other or you're married, um, maybe you've actually introduced them to other people before this way. Hey, this is my better half. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you mean that this is the better part of us. <laughs> if I'm thinking about better in terms of our marriage, here's what I mean, better than it was. And some of you are like, oh, well, what, what, what was wrong with it? Well, nothing was wrong with it. It's just better now. So tomorrow night when we sit down over a really, really fancy steak dinner at Outback, <laughs> we're, we're going to look back over the last 24 years and we're going to say, man, why did we get married when we were 10? That'll be the first thing we said. And then, and then we're going to just talk about dating. We'll talk about engagement. We'll talk about our wedding and we'll reminisce about the early years and, and we'll just talk about the last year. And I think, I'm pretty sure we'll both agree it's just better now, isn't it? See, we were really young when we got married. We were in college. We didn't have a lot of money. We lived in a, in a mobile home. Anybody, this sounds familiar. All right, you got married young and you didn't have much money. And we ate a really steady diet of frozen pizza and pot pies and tuna helper. And we, I, actually, I want to show you a picture of what we looked like on our wedding day as well. So here it is, all right? Now, yeah, I know. You're looking at her, not me. But... Um, <laughs> If you know her, actually, I think if you saw her, you would go, man, one of you looks the same, and it's, it's not me. So if you're looking at this, I hope that you would be really, really kind, and we would all just say, you know, there's no disagreement. Things are better now, right? <laughs> Th things are better now, and, and that can be a lot of, like, I can define that a lot of different ways, right? I mean, we know each other better. We communicate better. We express ourselves better. We work together better. We serve each other better. And one of the things I really like about having an anniversary so close to the first of the year is that we get to actually, we get to dream about the future. And so at some point while we're diving into a stake, you know, we're going to actually say, man, how can the next year be better than last year? How could the next 24 years actually be better than the first 24 years? And we'll make some plans, all right? And we'll talk about, are there any things that maybe we need to leave behind? Or are there some things that maybe we need to focus on 
Why? So it can be better. And the same way that we do that with our marriage, maybe you've done that in the last couple of days, or you will do it in the next couple of days, because you're looking at a clean slate, right? We're, we're turning a calendar page, and you're looking forward going, man, I'm thinking about things that happened last year and the things I did and the things I didn't do and the things I wanted to do and the things I didn't want to do. And if I was to ask you, what do you want 2016 to be like? I think most of us would go better. <laughs> well, better than what? I mean, well, you want it to be better than 2015. And if you're somebody who actually wrote down some goals or even resolutions, that's not my word, but if you wrote down some goals, I bet most of them have to do with this idea of better. You want to have better financial practices. You want to form some better habits. You want to, uh, you want to be a better dad. You want to be a better wife. You want to get in better shape. And, and here's the deal. I hope you hit all those goals. I hope you get to the end of the year and you turn the next calendar page and you go, man, things are better and, and, and it happened for me. It's just that better is a really hard thing to qualify, isn't it? And I think we can do that. It's just it takes some things in writing usually so that they actually end up being better. Now, here's what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to take the questions that we ask about our marriage and I want to take the thoughts that go into setting goals for a new year and I want to use them to actually talk about our relationship with Jesus. Because those questions would sound like this. What would it take for you to have a better relationship with Jesus this year? Well, well better than what? Well, better than it is or better than it was. And if it's true, that life does not happen by chance, but life actually happens by change, what might need to change so that in 2016, you know Jesus better? Now, I want to read a passage from the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you one. If not, it will be on the screens on the side. But this is written by a guy named Paul. He writes to his friends in a church in the city of Philippi. Now, Paul was known as Saul. He's the number one threat to the followers of Jesus. And then he had an encounter with Jesus, and it totally turned his life around. Everything about him changed, including his name. And so what we're reading in chapter 3 is Paul writing to his friends saying, look, I don't want you to get confused on what it really looks like to follow Jesus, so let me outline what it really takes to know him and to know him better. I'm going to jump in in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I just started there because I thought I want to get your attention at the beginning, all right? So here we go. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law, and I was so zealous I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, it's just Paul giving a really long list of things that the people in his culture would think, man, that's impressive. That's what it really takes to be somebody who's going in the right direction. It's just the things that he was born into or certain things that he achieved. And those things gave him some really great privileges in his life. He went to the best schools. He's one of the smartest and brightest students and people. He even mentions this whole idea about the Pharisees. Like he, he was the top of the line in his class. There were never more than 300 Pharisees at one time. And he says, I, I was the best of the best. He understood religious laws. He kept them as well as anyone. And that's impressive because there was well over 600 of them. 
So he's just kind of outlining his resume. Hey, I had national respect. It'd be like saying today something close to this, right? I'm an American. Not only that, my ancestors came over on the Mayflower. And I, I was baptized as a baby. I, maybe I was dedicated. I was uh, christened. I you know, went through confirmation, and my family always went to church. I ended up at Yale. It, it'd be like listing your resume and all the things that you had done or were born into. So look what Paul says next in, chapter, in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yeah, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I discarded everything else. I, I count it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, those other things I just listed. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So just understand, he's saying, look, all those things that I just listed out that are things that I could really use to feel good about myself, and the ways in which I'm trying to work myself towards God's approval, he's saying, look, I, I realize they mean nothing. God only accepts genuine faith. All the things I had going for me, they don't compare to actually knowing Jesus. He says, actually, they were keeping me from knowing Jesus. By comparison, just understand, by comparison, right, to really knowing Jesus, all those things I've decided, they really belong in the garbage, now, garbage is a very nice way of translating what Paul says there. That, that Greek word there is skubalon, all right, skubalon. Would you just say it with me, skubalon? I mean, say it like you really mean it. Now, I don't know why you would say a word like that in church, because it's really not a nice word, all right? <laughs> this is a generous translation to say garbage here, but the word actually means, well, and this is the family service, so let's just say this. If, if Paul saw a chariot riding around the first century, it might have a bumper sticker on the back that said, Scubalon happens, all right? Are you with me on this one? <laughs> so that's, that's what he's talking about. So look, he's just saying, look, all these things I've just listed about my life, they have value, but compared to really knowing Jesus, I'm just going to tear them up and I'm going to throw them in the trash. Because what I really want is, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Like, I, I just want to know Jesus and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I, I even want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that, one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It's just Paul saying, look, in its most basic form, I want to know Jesus Christ personally. I, I want to experience his power working in my life. I want to go all the way with this whole thing to the end of my life, and whatever happens next after that, I want to be ready for that too. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him personally. One of the things I got for Christmas was a autographed picture of Coach K. He's standing on a ladder. He's holding the nets that they've just cut down from the championship game back in April. Now, it's not a secret here. I really don't think I'm a, a noxious Duke basketball fan. Some people tried to correct me already. But, um, I, and I like Coach K. That's just, the, it just is, all right? And so I have a lot of things in my home office that represent Duke basketball and Coach K. And I have a lot of books on my shelf. I've read a lot of these books, books that he signed himself. I have a basketball with, that says Mike Krzyzewski that he signed. It's sitting on my shelf. 
Um, I've been to many of the games. I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of the games. I, um, I've even met Coach K's wife before. How cool is that? I have people that know Coach K personally. They've had dinner at his house before. I, I, I have a Duke uniform. I don't wear it. It's just hanging up down there, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't, wear, I don't wear the jersey or anything like that. I, I have a lot, I have a poster, a team poster hanging on my wall from a championship year that says, to John, best wishes, wishes, Mike. I mean, how much more cool does it get, John and Mike? That sounds like we know each other pretty well, doesn't it? Listen, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff. I know a lot. I've answered questions about Coach K before. I, I know a lot of things about Coach K. You know what? I don't know him. I think a lot of us have a relationship with Jesus that's much like my relationship with Coach K. Like we know a lot of stuff. We got a lot of information. We go to church. We know people who know him. We got the uniforms. We've got church clothes, right? And we know a lot of stuff about him. We have things with his name on them. We even read messages that he sent to us. We know stuff about him. We've read the books, right? But I just am afraid many of us don't really know him. So what if we were to pack together a little bit? I mean, what if we just kind of agreed together to say, let's not waste another year just knowing more and learning more stuff about him without a desire to really see his power at work in our life? I mean, what if we could just kind of agree to say, man, let's not go through another year of making some self-improvements, right? Just trying to get better without making it our goal to truly know Jesus and the change he can bring to any area of our lives. Knowing Jesus, knowing him better, Paul says, that's my goal. But I love what he adds in verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, I have not achieved it. So I love that. He's saying, look, this is a work in progress, all right? I don't have it all figured out yet. I'm still learning a lot of things, but I have a plan, right? I've got a plan to know him better. And here it is, he says, I focus on this one thing. You see it right there, halfway down. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Now look, he's just describing how his life is changing, like how it's getting better and how it's gonna continue to get better. It's not complete, he's just saying, I wanna know Jesus better, here's how it's gonna happen. There's some stuff I've gotta leave behind and there's some stuff that I've got to focus on. I just want to ask you those questions today and see if there might be some steps you need to take. And here's the first question. Is there something that you need to leave behind so you can know Christ better in 2016? There was a movie back in the mid-80s titled The Mission. If you're my age, maybe you saw it, maybe you've seen it since then. It's set in the 18th century in South America. And Robert De Niro plays... Um, a Jesuit priest by the name of Rodrigo Mendoza. Now, Mendoza is a former mercenary soldier. He recently shot and killed his own brother. And so he's now decided he's going to go work in a mission to the Guarani Indians. 
Now, this group of Indians is a, is a group of people that he has um, also kidnapped many of them. He's executed some of them as well. So it's kind of an interesting deal. He's going to go work at the mission. And these people are living in a jungle that's high above the Amazon. And the only way you can get there is to actually scale a waterfall. So as he's going up there to work at the mission, and that's difficult enough to climb the waterfall, but what Mendoza does is he goes back and he collects different things that represent his past. So he's taken some armor and he's taken some weapons and he's put them into a net that he's tied up and he carries on his back as he scales this waterfall and he does it barefoot. So it's a really intense scene because it shows him um, he's just so full of uh, remorse He's even self-condemning. He's going to make it his goal to carry all these burdens and these weights to the top of the waterfall and see if he hasn't found some kind of release. Now, an interesting thing happens as he's climbing up this waterfall. It gets caught on um, some brush. And one of the guys, his traveling companions, comes along, and they cut the whole thing loose, and it starts to tumble down the side of the waterfall. But interestingly enough, what Mendoza does is he doesn't climb onward he doesn't go faster. He doesn't go towards the end destination. He climbs back down, picks up this weight of stuff, and puts it on his back and continues to climb to the top of the waterfall. Now, I think it's interesting just to see somebody like that just struggle to reach the top, and they can't quite get there like they need to because they've been carrying this load that's just weighing them down. I can't help but to think there's some of us in the room who are doing that kind of thing. We're dragging this net full of things, essentially, that keeps us from a better life. It's something that keeps us from actually knowing Christ. See, some of us might actually be um, like Mendoza. The thing we're dragging around is regret. It's regret. We think about the things we've done, we think about the things we should have done, we think about our mistakes, and we just replay those things over and over and over in our mind. And even though many of us feel guilty about those things, we might feel really sorry about those things, we just pick them up and we continue to carry them around, beat ourselves up just a little bit more. What we need to do is acknowledge it and find a way to cut it loose because the way that particular scene ends is he finally reaches the top. He's greeted by this group of Indians that he had previously mistreated. And one of those guys comes over and cuts that weight loose. And together they watch it fall over the edge of the waterfall. And he feels a sense of relief. I mean, if that's not a cool picture of what Jesus can do in a person's life, I don't know what is. It reminds me of what Paul says later to a group of Christians in Corinth. He says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. He says, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So it just kind of speaks to Jesus saying, this, this is what he does. Like when you acknowledge what's happening in your life, you bring it to God, you repent, right? I don't want to do that anymore. I want to turn around. You let him cut it loose and essentially push that weight over the edge in your life. If you don't do that, it will continue to hinder your relationship with Jesus from ever getting any better. Now, forgetting the past and dealing with the past are not the same thing. I mean, if there's things going on, don't bury your head right? And look the other way. Find a way to deal with those things. I mean, make a U-turn in your life, make restitution if possible, and then leave it in its place, which is behind you. 
there's some of us who may have this thing that's holding us back called relationships. Like, it might be a relationship that's keeping us from knowing Jesus better. It might be a boy, it might be a girl, and they just push you, right? They, they bring out the worst in you. They, they push you to make bad decisions. They, um, they just kind of lead you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. It might actually be a child, right? If you're a parent and you just can't keep up with the schedule, the sports schedule, right? It's just kind of killing you. And it's like that, that the whole Sunday thing, if you're into the Sunday thing, it might be that thing that's keeping you from having a thriving relationship. Or it might be a spouse. Now, do not walk out of here and say, sorry, honey, he said there's some things I got to leave behind. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I'm just saying there are some things that need to be put in their proper place, and a better relationship with Jesus must be top priority. A spouse or some other has to come in a very close second. But you got to put those things in the proper place. It, it might be for some of us the thing that prevents us from knowing Jesus better is, a, uh, is bitterness or unforgiveness. I think many of us get held back by something that happened uh, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 30, 50 years ago. And we're just kind of still holding on to it and dragging it around, believing that somebody who hurt us somewhere in our past, they owe us something and they need to repay us. It might be news to some of you, but when you hold a grudge towards someone else, they likely don't know that you're holding that grudge towards them. And it's not hurting them at all. It's really only hurting you. And here's what Paul says to another group of friends in Ephesus. He says, here's what you got to do. You got to get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. And then he adds rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all types of evil behavior. I'm not suggesting this is an easy thing to do, but I'm saying it's a necessary thing to do. Whatever it takes from you, right, in order to get rid of it. Because I, it might be that one thing that keeps some of us, right? it's that one thing that just kind of prevents us from taking that next step in knowing Jesus better, I like that Paul includes a whole list of things there because it might be a habit that's going on in your life. It might be some kind of a hang-up that you just can't quite get over. It, it might be a work thing for some of us. Like work might be that thing that keeps us from knowing Jesus better because it might be a boss or an environment or the people or the hours. And, and listen, you or someone you know, maybe it's travel, right? And, and it's Sundays kind of suck up some of your time. And I know I'm treading on some really delicate area here, but I'm not going to be back here next week, all right? So <laughs> you might have to make some adjustments. I mean, you might have to start watching online as a habit. You might have to find a place where you can go worship on Saturday night or on Sunday night, or you might have to find another job. And I'm really serious about that. By the way, take some comfort in knowing this, that 84% of people say this year they're going to be looking for another job. Nobody's even going to know why you're looking for another job. And when you hear other people talking about it, say, hey, keep an eye out for me, all right? But I just want to challenge you in that way to say, hey, here's why, because I have a really good friend who's going through this right now. And my challenge to him is, look, I've never known a person who went away from meeting with other Christians regularly in worship, whether it was intentional or unintentional. I've never known somebody who disengaged, who grew closer to Jesus. 
It might be that thing that keeps you from taking that better step. It could be any number of things, right, that weigh us down and kind of hold us back. Here's the question. Is there something that might actually need to be left behind so you can know Christ better? So remember, right, what Paul also adds in verse 14. He says, I forget what is behind and I'm looking forward. And twice he uses this phrase, right? I'm pressing on. Press on means to run after something, to follow after something, to pursue something. I actually like the way um, theologian and author C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, you, can, you can't go back, all right? Some of you might need to write this one down here. But you can't go back and change the beginning. You can start where you are and change the ending. I really like that. So let me ask you another question. Is there something you might need to pursue so you can know Christ better in 2016? Some of the next steps I would recommend for you are the things we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. What does it look like to live a life of generosity? What does it look like to live on personal mission? What does it look like to live in community with other people? What does it look like to develop some private spiritual disciplines in your life. So I just want to ask you this as I kind of wrap this whole thing up. You, you had a program when you came in, and inside is a Connect card. I, I want you to take that out, all right? I want you to take it out. I'm watching you. I want you to take it out and just kind of hold it. Because if you're here today and you're saying, yes, I do want to know Jesus, I, I want to actually know him better, then you've got a lot of things to think about, and you've probably got some changes that you might need to make in your life. So let me just ask you to do this. Um, a doctor by the name of Gail Matthews is a psychology professor at the Dominican University in California and did a really fascinating study. And here's the conclusion of the study, all right, is that um, you are 42% more likely to follow through on your goals if you just simply write them down. That increases your chances greatly, doesn't it? 42% more likely to follow through on your goals if you simply write them down. This right here is more than an info card, by the way. Every week, this is an action card because we put a lot of time and energy and resources into providing next steps for you so you can take what we talk about here and put it into action. So with given what, where we're going in the next couple of weeks, let me just suggest a couple of things to get you thinking, something you might need to pursue. It's some of us, it might be in the area of generosity because we're looking back on the last year, the last couple of years going, man, it hasn't been good for us financially or we haven't made good decisions. We need to do things differently. And the thing, your action step might be to sign up for things you read in there, such as Financial Peace University and say, all right, we're going to take this action step because when it comes to generosity, it might be the thing that opens up that next step for you in your relationship with Jesus. Or it might be living on mission. Like, how do you personally help people connect with God? For some of us, it is just to check off this box here. I need to talk to somebody what it means to actually follow Jesus. Or others of you, it comes in the form of a prayer request. I need to start praying for my neighbors, my coworkers. God, how do you want to help me connect with them? Or maybe it's an action step in the area of community and living in um, a community with other people, people who are on the same path and trying to get better as well. You sign up for a group of some kind. Look in, the, in your program. It's just full of all kinds of things in the back of it. Or it's a next step in a private spiritual discipline. 
And you just write it down. I want to learn how to pray. I want to join a grow group. I got to get around some other people who can push me in this direction. But whatever it is, you write it down. And I want to give you one more idea, and I'll wrap the whole thing up, all right, when it comes to writing this down. A while back, I came across um, a website called futureme.org. And I think there's a lot of creative ways to use this, but futureme.org. You can go there, you can look at it, you can read what it's all about. But what it essentially is is that you can send yourself an email to whatever point in the future you choose. It could be one month, it could be a year, it could actually be 10 years. And you can actually go on there and read actual emails that people anonymously have sent to themselves. Actually, on, on the first, I just spent a little bit of time reading some of them, and I'll give you an idea of what some of them sound like. This person said, 10 years ago, you're eight months sober. Are you still sober? 10 years ago, they sent that email to themselves with an action step. Here's what I want to happen. It's seven years ago, Chris says, are you happy yet? Two years ago, this person writes, dear future me, if all goes according to plan, you're dead by now. But some of them have some hope in them, all right? Here's one, two years ago, I hope by now we found peace with ourselves. I hope maybe we don't hate how we look or how we act, because right now I do. I have for years, and I don't know how to find anything I like about myself. I hope that by now we would have learned how to accept compliments and believe them. I hope that we look exactly like we've always wanted to. I hope you turned into the person I want you to be. And I love this part. Here's the hope. And if not, keep trying. I just thought, man, what if you were to send an email to yourself, maybe a month from now or a year from now, and you talked about the changes you hope might be made. I wonder how that would turn out for you. If you would actually write an email, Dear Future Me, on January the 1st of 2017, I know Jesus better because, or however you want to word it, because here's what I believe, you can know him better, but something likely needs to change in your life. And it might revolve around one of these two questions. Is there something you need to leave behind? Is there something you need to pursue? Because, let's end where we started. Life does not get better by chance. Life gets better by change. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're so grateful for these words that you've given to us that were significant to the people Paul wrote them to. God, they're significant to us today all these years later. God, I just pray as we consider what things you bring to mind, those action steps we need to take, God, I pray for the courage to be able to walk into them, to rely on your power to see change happen so that we know you better this year. And we pray these things through Jesus. Amen.